So I think I'm, uh, I'm all set and I'm very excited about our conversation. Great. Okay, well, I'll go ahead and start. Hello, I'm Annette, and thank you for listening to my podcast. Today, I am honored to have a co-host or a guest host, actually, my dear friend Maria Zinadu, who is who runs the Impact Learning podcast, but also she hails from from the cradle of democracy and from Greece, and we're talking about a democratic process and. I'm going to let Maria set the stage. Maria, thanks for being on here today. My pleasure. Always uh, nice talking with you. So when I heard the news that you were you were running for re-election for uh, the Amarillo College uh, Board of Regents, I had some questions. I was just curious and wanted to chat with you. And uh, as I was thinking about these questions, I thought that other people who are not familiar with community colleges or they may be interested in running and getting more involved, may have similar questions. And I thought maybe this is a conversation we want to have on the record. And so I sent you an email and I said, hey, I'd like to interview you because this may be useful conversation for, you know, more people than, you know, you are answering my questions. And so here we are today. Well, thank you. And I hope I can answer a lot of questions and shed some light on some things that I'm very passionate about, not just education, but governance, good governance and service to your community and beyond. So, Maria, I'm turning it over to you. (laughs) Thank you. First of all, uh, how old is uh, Amarillo College? When was it founded or established? Amarillo College is, I believe, like 92 years, no, it would be 95 or 6 years old. It was established in 1926, and uh, it's it's been a really big part of the community, uh, certainly in recent years, but it's, it's a longstanding institution, uh, very, very well respected, both locally and now nationally. We mm-hmm. talk about some of the awards that we've received over the years too. When uh, when did you get involved? Well, as a school board member and as the founder and director of Panhandle Twenty Twenty, I've worked with folks at Amarillo College for twenty five years at least. And uh, twenty five years ago is when I got elected first to the school board, and I ran for the college six years ago. Our terms are six-year terms, and so we, uh, it's an election process, and I filed to run for Emerald College Board uh, in six years ago, which would have been 2015 for the May election. I, at the time, had already decided it was time for me to step step off the school board, so I did get elected. And I one night had my last school board meeting, and the next night I was uh, sworn in to the Amarillo College Board. But prior to that, I had worked with Amarillo College in our community work, really trying to align our systems of education, because our systems aren't designed to be aligned, 
But we could see the folks of us who worked with Panhandle 2020 really understood that this misalignment was hurting the students. So we did everything we could in our community to better align the different systems of K-12, of community college, of four-year college. So, When you talk about alignment, is this a matter of governance or uh, overall the process? It's, it's designed that way at the state level. And I really think it's that way in probably all states. But we have a K-12 system that's run by something called the Texas Education Agency. And it's designed to graduate students from high school. Uh, the community college system is designed to take young adults or older adults and and uh, educate them or educate them for job skills or for continuing education or for uh, some continuing education courses that might just be, um, you know, pottery or, you know, just enjoyable things, not necessarily for jobs. But uh, so we have a multifunctional role. And then, and that's run that and then the four-year institutions of universities are both run by the Texas Higher Ed Coordinating Board. But there's some distinctions in how they're funded and how they're governed. Uh, we are elected governed, uh, elected boards at the community college, not so at the four-year institutions. Those were appointed. So who can participate in these elections? In my election for May 1st, it would be anyone who's a registered voter in the city of Amarillo. Beautiful. This is truly democratic. Let's take a little time to talk about the role of a community college, of Amarillo College for the for a, for the community, for the citizens. What how important is it? To be honest, I never used to pay a whole lot of attention to community colleges when I was first getting involved in education, but it's really uh, grown on me how important community colleges are. And I believe both with the economic crisis, the pandemic challenges that we've had, that community colleges are going to play not only a role, but the key role in getting our communities back on their feet, in getting workers back in jobs that pay living wages, and in providing new opportunities for reskilling and upskilling uh, some of our adults who might have lost jobs during the pandemic. So it is hugely important. We have such a huge economic impact on our community, both in the work that we do, the employees that we employ, and the students that we employ as well, in part-time students, but also in generating higher levels of wages for our population, uh, in being a resource for our community. At Emerald College, we've really focused on trying to meet the needs of all our students, including so many of our low-income students that really some colleges don't feel it's their role to do, but we have decided whatever it takes to make our students successful. And so we've stepped up and tried to provide different opportunities or different resources to get rid of the barriers some students face. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the students. So who are the students who attend Amarillo College? 
Well, when we first started doing the work together around Panhandle 2020 and meeting the needs of our students, we really had a disconnect in who, at the college level, who they thought their students were and who their students really were and now are. Uh, So they did some surveys and they really did a good job of educating their faculty and staff about the realities that their students face. The reality is that our students are typically older. They're typically, they're higher percentage female. They're uh, heavily uh, non-Anglo and heavily uh, low in, well, or over half are uh, low socioeconomic students who qualify for Pell Grants, which means they have other challenges in their life because of poverty. Um, I think early on in the work, some students or some faculty thought it was the students that they had 30 years ago when they started teaching. And the reality is, and back then it was mostly the affluent kids who would spend a year or two there and then go on to a four-year institution. Now it's, while we certainly still have that and welcome that, it's not only that. It's really a lot of students who have never, you know, they're first-generation students. None of their family members have participated in college. They don't understand the systems, the bureaucracy that higher ed presents. We try to reduce the bureaucracy as much as we can, but some of that still exists regardless of how hard you work at it and to, you know, to reduce the, the hoops that students have to jump through. But uh, so our students, they may be coming back to, they may already have degrees and coming back to get a different um, associate's degree, or they may be an 18-year-old who just graduated from high school and going to Amarillo College for two years to get their basics and then transfer to a four-year institution. So we need to meet the needs of all those students. And uh, if any of the students you talked about uh, is interested in attending, is it, what is the process? Does everyone have access? We are an open enrollment institution, so yes, everyone has access. And how many students can you, can you accommodate every year? We serve about 10,000 a year. And these are mostly two-year kind of degrees? Yes, they're either, uh, you know, they might spend a year or two and then transfer to university. They might finish with an associate's degree or a certification, um, you know, say in welding or something, because we do have provide a lot of career and technical uh, training. Uh, or automotive or airplane mechanics. So all of the above uh, depends on what their pathways are. And nursing, we provide a lot of medical training for our, for our medical facilities. I want to talk now about your experience being on the board for the last six years. And what uh, have been the changes you've seen through the governance of the board and also other factors that have, you know, developed? Well, I came on the board not long after our current president was hired. He, I think he was hired in October and I got elected in May, but he and I had already worked together on a lot of, a lot of the efforts around uh, meeting the needs of low-income f- students and families. 
and on building access to higher to higher levels of educational attainment in our community. But since I've been on the board, I've seen a shift in focus of making sure our funds go to meet all of our strategic efforts. And in 2015, we did establish something called the No Excuses Plan 2020, which we have now just redone for the No Excuses 2025. It's our our strategic plan. And in 2020, we really, or for that plan, we really focused on building a culture of caring, meeting the needs of the students, uh, eliminating barriers that our students might have to their success, and reducing the time they had to spend to get to their degree. We did that through a, a number of things. We uh, we shifted from 16-week coursework to eight-week courses. And for many of our students, that's a much better fit. They don't have to have as many books. Typically, our students are working one or two jobs outside of school, and they can better focus on, say, two or three courses. It shifted more of our students to full-time because if you're a full-time student, you're more likely to complete. So uh, that's a good change as well. We built uh, an advocacy and resource center to serve our low-income students with both a food pantry, clothing closets, emergency aid funds. And um, the stories there have just been phenomenal. We've built partnerships with our community for lots of things to meet uh, the students' need, get them enrolled in social services if they qualify, uh, get them involved uh, in, in um, well, access to mental health issues, particularly during the COVID crisis. We saw that as a real need. And I visited with the doctor who runs that clinic uh, in our community. And he just, you know, he's amazed at the stories our students come in with, but they keep persevering and continue. So it's it's wonderful to have these community partnerships and so important because the schools can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. So I hear you say, talk a lot about... Um changes and decisions you've made together with the board to make, I guess, their journey and their experience, retention and completion easier for the students. What about um, access and enrollment? Have you uh, changed anything over the last, uh, you know, five or 10 years to make it easier for low-income students, students who don't know about everything that's available to them to enroll and get access to higher education? Well, in working with our local school districts all all across the Panhandle, um, we we do go to the schools, and by the time the the high schoolers leave high school, they have the phone number and connection of a faculty member or a, or the resource center at Amarillo College. We try to get them enrolled in their two years of two to three years of programming, depending on what they're going in to, uh, how long it's going to take. We try to get them into a relevant pathway. And one thing we have in our community that's, I think we're in our third year now, is something called the Thrive Scholarship. So at our largest school district is Amarillo, Amarillo ISD, Independent School District. And for any graduate of Amarillo ISD, who graduates with a certain, you know, B average and attendance rate, uh, decent attendance rate, they can come to Amarillo College 
for free for 60 hours. So they can really cut the prices of the price of their of their higher education, uh, you know, of the impact of the cost of the higher education they might have to attend. We're already a pretty low cost alternative to a four year institution. Twelve hours, I believe, costs a little over two thousand dollars for a student, and so it's that might be that might be two semesters. So that would be 24 hours. So it's it's really a much more cost-effective option for our students. And for a lot of our students in Amarillo, they can come for free. So we're doing everything we can to improve access. Uh, moving forward, we're going to do some different things. And really, now that we've got these systems in place, try to build on their experiences while they're at our school. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look uh, at this last year we all had. We are still in the middle of it, but we've had already one year of experience. What are the challenges that you are facing today? I mean, as, you know, Amarillo College, as Board of Regents, as students, as families, what are the new challenges that you need to address or you are addressing already? Well, in related to COVID, as it's related to COVID, we saw a number of challenges, obviously. Uh, Just students coming in um, were scared to death. They didn't know what was happening. We kept part of the college open, even when we went to complete remote learning. So students who didn't have access to internet, who didn't have access to printers and had to print work off for for classes, they could come in and uh, take care of business at our school we realize not all of our students have access to technology. They don't have access to internet at their homes, or uh, they don't necessarily have a quiet place to study. So we provided some 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 appropriately spaced areas for students to come to campus if they if they needed to. Uh, a lot of our students have issues with transportation. Uh, not of our not all of our students really did well engaging in an online platform, and I think that's not unique to our students, but certainly that's that's been a challenge for for everyone in education to try to meet those needs of the different learning styles of all our students. So, based on your experience the last six years and I guess the state of affairs and all the challenges, why are you running and you want to be reelected again? Well, two years ago, we passed a bond election uh, for $89 million. We're funded on several things. We were funded by property taxes. We're funded some from the state and by tuition. And then we get some federal grants as well. But to build uh, or renew our facilities, we had to do a bond election. And some of that bond election included real exciting things like new air conditioners and heating units and things like that, uh, new roofs, you know, some just basic maintenance that we try to build in. But when you've got, a cam- you know, campus facilities, you've got to take care of them over time. Um, and the, the voters, you know, voted that in. 
And so that's a, that's a kind of separate pot of funds. And some of the things we're going to be doing with those include building an innovation outpost to really try to be more creative in helping our students and our local businesses uh, work together. We've got some uh, what's we're, what we're calling earn and learn uh, opportunities coming ahead. So we hope all of our students at some point in time will get an opportunity to be in a paid position, at least part-time, in the community, in their field of study, uh, to get the work experience as well as for the employers to get some of the some of the work benefit from our students, but also, um, you know, they might get exposed to something and realize, I don't really want to spend my life doing that. And that's good information too. Um, but I'd like to see a lot of the projects uh, that, that we've been working on continue. I'm involved at the state level as well, um, at both in policy and legislative work. And I just feel like I'm not ready to take that experience away from the college because after 25 years of doing this, I really do have quite a bit of experience <laughs> and um, knowledge base around pretty complex issues of education and how education is run. And I just hope the voters choose to vote me back in. Can you help me understand, maybe with an example, I will leave it up to you, because you have uh, quite diverse and long experience uh, with the school and state. Give me maybe an example to understand what you bring into, you know, the board and the governance and how you can help make progress, especially today that there are probably more challenges than, let's say, we had before. Well, and it might be easy to just say, okay, I'm done. I've done my part. Let's run away. But that's just not the way I'm wired. So I want to keep trying to make a difference and create more opportunity for more students and for the community. I really think our college will play a huge role in rebuilding the economic well-being of Amarillo and the region. And by example, sharing those uh, sharing the processes we've done, the practices we've done in, in improving our, our, um, our completion rates. We've gone from the teens for completion into almost 60% completion rate in just a few years by tweaking the things that, that we've talked about here. Um, to me, you know, if we ever get to a hundred, I'd be amazed but that's 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 higher than most of the state or national levels. And if we can do that in just a few years, what else can we do to really improve the opportunity for our community uh, and for and for building our local businesses? Um, policy and you know, as boring as most people think policy is, I'm kind of a policy wonk and <laughs> I chair the policy committee. You always have to go back to policy when you're in a government-run organization. You also have to be careful when you're in a position of governance not to cross over that role into management. Uh, we have one employee, and it's the president of our college. And we set the tax rate and 
things like that, set the budget, and we can help establish the vision and the direction of the college. But we don't get in the day-to-day work. And I, I think I have a pretty good idea of that line, and maybe I cross it a time or two, but... <laughs> but for I try good, not to. For a good reason, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's there's ways you can get things done without crossing that line, and you and you've got to know how to work with that. And honestly, you as a board, you should hold each other accountable. If I see somebody crossing that line, or they see me crossing that line, as friends and colleagues, we're supposed to say, "Guys, that's not our job." And Sometimes I've had that said to me, and sometimes I've had to say that to other people. But it's really important because that's the president's job, not ours. So, Annette, uh, what do regents do? What is your day-to-day, let's say, kind of activities you get involved when you don't cross the line? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I'm a data person. I, I look at the data. I I look at national trends. I, I read about all this stuff. I read reports that come out, um, at both just about our institution and about state level and national, and look at the trends. Um, and, and that's kind of who I am and why I've done what I've done over the years. But we have a meeting once a month and uh, occasional additional meetings, and then you have committee work. I, uh, I'm i on executive committee. I'm vice chair of the board right now. I also chair the policy committee. I also did chair the legislative committee, but I've stepped down from that to share, share the experience of some of our other board members to step up and do that. Um, and so it's really to do your due diligence around those issues. You read your board materials. You question your board materials. Um, If you don't come prepared to the board meeting, you're really kind of worthless as a board member. So, But we have an excellent board. We have nine members here, and we have two additional uh, community members from outlying colleges in different towns who are who serve as board representatives for their for their communities but are non-voting members. So since we are on the topic of discussing the role and responsibilities of board members, uh, for someone who's not familiar with the community college governance, what are the attributes of a good board member? Well, and again, I'll... I'll pull this back both for my K-12 boardsmanship and community college because I think they, they very much mesh together, uh, even though the systems are, are not as aligned as they need to be. Um, but it's, it's, number one, it's understanding that role. And whatever is said in an executive session or in closed session is 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 proprietary information. You don't share it uh, with the community because you there are some things you have to have private discussions about. Say you're trying to buy a piece of property. You don't want to let that leak, you know, things like that. Um, or if it's a personnel issue, you don't, you don't speak publicly about personnel issues. Um, but also you've got to build trust and learn to trust your fellow board members and 
the folks who are running the college. And we have an excellent team at Amarillo College, not just the president, but his 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 A team, uh, his cabinet, and trust that they know their work. And and really, you should be there for the good of the students and the community, not for anything personal. If you're there for for any self, you know, promotion or anything, you shouldn't run. <laughs> you should run for the good of the community, for the good of the of the system, for the good of the of the students and all students, not just the ones who look like you. Mm-hmm. Very well said. You started talking about the role that the community college plays in uh, reskilling and upskilling. And again, one of the unfortunate things many people have experienced in the last year is that they've lost their job or a lot of things have changed. And they always go back to or correlate, you know, with the skills they have, what they are trained on and things are changing. So how do you see now the role of, uh, you know, Amarillo College as a community college, helping people? their families, and overall the community, you know, to be socially and financially healthy. We think a lot about that and about our role there. And in looking at the trends, I mean, we've, we do book studies around the demographics of community college enrollment, around um, technology changes, around, we've built in uh, all of our students will have some kind of either coding experience or, or just uh, problem-solving experience that helps prepare them for the new jobs of the future. We also look at, okay, we have a truck driving facility or training, but with driverless trucks coming, we try to educate our students that, okay, this may be your job for a while, but then you can come back to us and get uh, stackable credentials and learn how to, you know, maybe be a technician or learn how to be involved in, you know, some of the electric vehicles, you know, all those kind of things. We're trying to build partnerships in our community and across the nation to, to think outside the box of that's what we've always done. So that's what we're going to keep doing. We really don't do that. We really try to say, what are the new skills our students and families are going to need and how can we be there for them? Mm-hmm. You said also something else earlier that it could be that uh, a student who wants to uh, go to a university might choose to start at the community college. And this is not, you know, not only to get exposed to a certain discipline or subject they are interested in, but to see whether they like it or not. But again, in the times of COVID, this may be also what we can do. So instead of sitting at home and doing nothing, someone can mm-hmm. continue to educate, you know, can continue to attend courses, to, to learn, to get some credits. So do you see that this is also changing now because of COVID? Is it something or is it more or less how it was before, like having students that use it as a, a pathway towards university? I think it's a, one of the challenges we have seen because so many of our students are a little bit older and have children at home. They've had a challenge continuing their education while their children were at home doing remote learning from K-12. 
So some of those students uh, have really had to step back and and wait and say, I'm going to put this on hold. Um, we also, you know, we've it's it's funny with community colleges, you get about a about an 18 month swing, like when the economy goes down. Then about 18 months later, you kind of get, or maybe the next year, you get an upswing in folks, uh, you know, enrolling. So it's kind of a cyclic thing. So we are down a little bit for our enrollment right now. Not as much as we thought we might be, but um, but again, that all imp- affects our uh, our funding structures or our funding, you know, from from the state and. All those are things that we we're currently in a legislative session right now uh, in Texas. So we're working with our state organization and with our local legislators to really try to secure the funding going forward so we don't take a big hit because of enrollment loss. Is this the biggest challenge you have right now in terms of governance as the board of regents or is there something else that is let's say, top of mind? Top of mind during a legislative session and an economic downturn is going to be finances. It's yeah. just going to be. And, you know, but finances to do the right things that our community needs and that our students need. Mm-hmm. You said that you recently renewed your strategic plan. Uh-huh. What are the big changes, if if any? Um, our refocus in the no excuses 2025 and the no excuses means there's no excuse for us as the adults building the system to not create pathways to we shouldn't build any more barriers than the students have in their lives already we need to remove barriers from their lives so it's our job to make sure our students are successful and to do that we're really focusing on kind of five areas for the next plan and it's completion we want to imp- complete you know continue to improve our completion rate we're going to align with the labor market and really try to say okay you know they're missing these skills in the in the coming wave uh, you know as as America grays out they're losing a lot of technical skills you know plumbers electricians all. So we're really trying to provide those opportunities for our students and say, there's going to be a lot of jobs in these areas and they pay good jobs. They pay good wages. So here are some opportunities. We're also, you know, aligning in that um, with our high school. There's a specialty high school that's just getting ready to launch next fall and called Amtec here and recent interview of the principal of that. And we, uh, you know, we're working with the school district to really try to align our things and not duplicate the work that's going on in our community because that's not doing anybody any good. Um, a new focus, a refocus on learning and 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 training for our faculty and staff. Um, honestly, when I first came on board, there wasn't a lot of professional development, but we've really grown that over the past four or five years, and we're going to continue to try to make sure we we do uh, improve that. Certainly during the summer last year, we paid a number of our faculty to kind of retrain to do the online 
focus, you know, the, the, the Zoom calls and stuff that you and I met on, <laughs> but, but in it, you know, for, for learning a big focus on equity, that's always been an issue, a concern and something we're all passionate about, but we, I don't think we ever spelled it out, but we have an equity report every month at our board meeting uh, on just some breakdown of the data. We have been very successful in closing some of the equity gaps between the different races and ethnicities at our school. And so that's something we're really proud about. Um, but we're going to keep continue to try to grow the diversity in our faculty and staff and, you know, making sure we don't have barriers uh, around equity. And then just being uh, good stewards of the taxpayer dollars, you know, be financially effective as best we can. The last two points you mentioned about supporting uh, professional development for faculty and also equity, but not only, you know, for students, for everybody involved. This continue to be, I mean, they're on the news or every day as we know it, in education, and I know you and I share this, education is in the center of that. Like, educate, give people, give everyone, student, faculty, equal access and opportunities. And then people, people will do the best they can. But offering this access, this is very, very important. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you have that in your, you know, renewed plan and commitment to continue to make progress and impact on the, on, you know, in the community. We've talked about a lot of things. You have answered all my questions. Is there any other aspect, whether it is a challenge you see today or an opportunity you see or anything else as you are thinking of, you know, coming May, I'm going to be reelected. What oh. are you? <laughs> yes. What are you thinking? Again, it could be something that is a challenge, but it could be an opportunity. What are you thinking, Annette? Well, the opportunity is for every citizen to get involved, and that comes from your homeland. That was the beginning of getting every person involved in voting. And the opportunity for folks to make a difference through their vote, because their vote does count. So I would ask everybody to make sure they get you know, involved, they get registered to vote, and they vote in all their local elections. Get educated about the people who are spending your tax dollars. Get educated about the people who are caring for your, you know, your children's welfare and, you know, safety and security of those students. Um, so to me, those are challenges and opportunities because not everybody pays much attention. Most people in Amarillo probably don't even realize there's a board of regents at Amarillo College. And, you know, that's something I spend a lot of my time and energy involved in. But also I would encourage folks who are, who are interested in, in their local communities to get involved, whether it's, you know, volunteering to help on a local campaign, uh, get involved in, you know, go to your, go to a school board meeting, go to a community college board of regents meeting. They're public meetings. And as a citizen, you have every right to to attend and to participate learn about what's going on so where let's say if if someone wants to learn more about or get involved where what is the first uh i guess 
what is the first step they can take? Where can they find information? Um, well, we all have websites now, so you can you can go to your college website, your district website. Um, you can go talk to your local schools or to one of the elected officials. Um, holler, you know, reach out to us. But if you're interested in running, that's another thing. Get involved and run for public office. And it's okay if you don't win, but you'll get exposed to a lot of new things. You'll get experiences you had no idea existed out there. You will make friends that you never would have made otherwise. I, I mean, I believe I've developed such a wealth of friendship in this community from the service I've done. That alone would be worth everything <laughs> to me. So, But just get involved in whatever level you're comfortable or maybe a little bit uncomfortable because I was pretty uncomfortable at the beginning of, of my journey doing this, but I'm so glad I've done it. Do you have any memorable experience or anything that surprised you over the last uh, six years? Most people are really good people and really want to do what's right. And sometimes just asking good questions can open their eyes to things they didn't necessarily think about before or understand because we all come from a different background. And when you can show faculty and staff by focusing on our low-income students or something, that these students can be just as successful as affluent kids, wow, what doors do those faculty and staff members have to open for those students. They've they've given them the world by by understanding them and working with them uh, at a one-to-one relationship level. And that's something I don't do. I build the systems for folks, you know, to be able to do that maybe. But I don't I don't interact with the students as much as as the folks, you know, in those classrooms do. And so I'm just so proud of the work that they do every day to help our students. Well said. One more question. If someone wants to know more about you and your work as a person, as, you know, you are a podcaster, you know, probably they are listening to this episode, but if they want to know more about you, where can they find information beyond the podcast? Um, well, the Annette on Education podcast, certainly, but also I have a website, Annette Carlisle, one in in Annette. That's always a challenge. <laughs> um, I'm a pretty public figure, so uh, find me, holler at me. We can go out to coffee now that folks are starting to do that a little bit and get to know each other. And it's don't hesitate to contact your locally elected officials. We want to hear from you. Thank you. Before we close, is there any other insight or thought that you would like to share with us? And maybe this is another podcast, but one thing we haven't talked about in running is money, the influence of money. And that's 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 a whole different discussion, I think, Maria, than, than the focus on building, you know, community through public service at K-12 or community college, but don't be naive and think money doesn't play a role in 
in elected officials' campaigns, etc. Of course. Anything around politics, although this is not politics, but it's policy governance. It is politics. It is know? politics. It is politics, yeah. Yeah, and it's you're dealing at K-12, you're dealing, one of my friends who was involved politically said, you're dealing with people's money and their children. So the two things people care the most about. So <laughs> so don't pretend that in politics and that in, those aren't touchy issues because, because they are. So. So Annette, if someone wants to support you after they find out more about you and they they believe that you, you know, you, your heart is in this, and you want to continue to serve and help your uh, community, the community college, but also your community. How can they support you if someone wants to do that? I am not raising money uh, this this go round. I decided I would just, you know, spend under the limit for uh, having to do the reporting. So I do. I did buy some yard signs on my own. You can go to my website. AnnetteCarlisle.com, sign up for a yard sign, but mostly you can vote. And we have an interesting voting process for this district, I mean, for this college election and for the K-12 school board in Amarillo. We have something called cumulative voting. So we have three positions up. Folks will have three votes. They can cast all three of them for me, for one of my you know fellow candidates, uh, you can split them up one, one, and one, or one and two, but uh, you can vote early starting April 19th or vote May 1st. And you can follow me on Facebook. You can follow me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on, I'm not very active on Instagram, but on Twitter. And, uh, you know, just uh, share my podcast too. I'd appreciate that. Very good. We will support you. Thank you. And thank you for <laughs> explaining the process because some of these things are very new to me, but it, I'm, I'm expecting that the, not everybody's familiar with the specifics. So thank you. It's it's clearly a democratic, political, <laughs> politics-related process. I mean, yeah, it's, but it's it's good to hear all this. This is, this is important. And it's good to for people to think that the more they get involved and voting is the, you know, the first step to getting involved and learning more about who is, you know, on, on the board and who is running. This is power. When we do that, this is how we exercise power. And then we can make our, you know, wishes heard and we can talk to people. Thank you, Annette. Thank you for answering all my questions. All the best running. Thank you. uh, And always uh, great learning from you and learning more about Amarillo College. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. And do you have any words of wisdom from your homeland on the democratic process? I think, Annette, you talked about it understanding what we have power over, because there are a lot of things we don't have power and control of, right? Um, But there are certain things. So in your case, you know, who is elected on the board, who is uh, you, basically, who is part of the board, who is managing taxpayers' money? These are things that we have control over. So I think the first step to me, if we want to make things better, and that's I learned that, you know, growing up in Greek culture, if we want to make progress and make things better, we need to get involved and we need to exercise the best, um, yeah, the best we have, the best um, power we have and reach out to people and make our wishes and concerns known. 
because I also believe that people uh, want to uh, to do good things. And I would reinforce that, especially nowadays, to be sure and not to listen to one source only, to open your eyes, your hearts, and your minds to people who believe things that are different than you, and to have conversations with a diverse group of folks, to seek your news sources from diverse groups, uh, news sources, and to uh, really educate yourself about issues and not just assume you know everything, because I certainly don't. I, I don't either. There are so many. Th- You're absolutely right. Maria, thank you so much for this fun conversation. Um, and as always, I love seeing you and visiting with you. And thank you for listening to Annette on education.